for allowing us to assemble today to worship you. Recognizing that, that heaven responds to our worship. We pray, Lord God, that as we have sung songs of praise and prayed to you and communed in fellowship and the Lord's Supper and remembering Jesus and all that we've done this morning, that our hearts, Lord God, have been near to you. We ask that you will bless us through the rest of our service to keep our minds focused only on you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray and thank thee for be thy will. Amen. World hunger, we will continue that along that line. It's chronic undernourishment. And so the hungry of the world have enough, you know, they have food to survive, but not enough food to give them good health. And every day millions of people around the world eat the bare minimum of food to keep them alive. I'm going to Mark chapter 14. And why? Why, why, does, why does Jesus say this to us? Well, he reveals something to us. And, and why does this have to be? But it is what it is. In Mark 14, 7, For the poor you always have with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good, or do them good, but you do not always have me. And so God says the poor will always be here. And the question that we ask often is, why? Well, we'll come back to that maybe in, over the series, and maybe we'll answer it. Maybe we've already answered the question. But I do know something about the verse that jumps out at me. Jesus says, whenever you wish. So that means I have power. Right? Whenever you wish, you can do something. And the thing that you do for the poor, Jesus calls it good. Isn't that nice? Thank you, God, for telling us there's something that we can do and that thing that we do is considered good in the eyes of God. And then I wonder about that verse as I read it over and over again. Why is that verse in there? And Why does it state what it states? And why does it sound the way that it sounds? And I just ask myself over and over again, is the man laying at my gate? Are the poor of the world? Are they left here as a test to the hearts of humanity? And last week we asked the question, well, well why hasn't the world done something? Right? And I know we know the world's doing something there. They're trying, but, but there's so much more that, that could be done. And we talked about that. And then I posed another question that I want to talk about today. Well, why hasn't God done anything about world hunger? It's not as if God hasn't provided, right, for the world. That's a good one. Um, it it's not as if God hasn't given us everything that we need, right? And so I think the reality is, I'm going to Second Peter chapter 1 uh, for just a moment. I think the reality is, maybe the problem 
When we think about why hasn't God done anything, I'm going to show you that God has done something. But maybe the world lacks compassion and mercy. Maybe that has something to do with it, right? Last week we looked at the government and greed and all those things. There's this big word in, in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. And, and we, in fact, we talked about the word in our Bible class uh, on the book of John. Uh, and it says, verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. So that's without exclusion, right? Everything pertaining to life and godliness to the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And I know this, this idea, this word Zoe, the word Zoe is a big word, it's huge. I know the context goes into the spiritual realm of living and life. But, but as far as humans are concerned, when, when we get to the spiritual, you, you still have to remember there is the physical, right? There's the flesh. And so God has given us everything so the life could happen, that even the flesh could live. And then Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, because there's so much more to life. But we do need bread to live. And so this all-encompassing word would include things like ability and ingenuity and ripe ground, something that extends outside of ourselves. Rain that comes down from the heavens. It includes all that holistically involves man. Psalm 136 so here's what's interesting. What's interesting is that when you study from an agricultural uh, standpoint and a, a historical standpoint and you really study about life, you realize that the Bible is true, that God has, has given or, or has in this earth enough sustaining power to feed every human being on the earth throughout all of history from the very beginning until the end of time. Psalm 136 and verse 23, who remembered us in our, and by the way, this is the thanks be unto God and his loving kindness, that big word loving kindness, his loving kindness is everlasting, that eternal word. So his loving kindness is an eternal word, right? That idea or thought, concept. His loving kindness, he who remembered, verse 23, us in our lowest state, for his loving kindness is everlasting and has rescued us from our adversaries, for his loving kindness is everlasting, who gives food to all flesh, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to God, the God of heavens, for his loving kindness is everlasting all. His loving kindness is all-encompassing. God gives us food. God doesn't show partiality. So what's going on, church? Let's come back to that. Psalm 147, uh, verses uh, 5 through 7. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. The Lord supports the afflicted. He brings down the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises to our God on the lyre who covers heaven's or the heavens with clouds who provides rain for the earth who makes gray, uh, grass to grow 
on the mountains. God causes the rain to grow or, or fall rather that gives the ground the ability to grow. And then back to 146 beginning at verse 5. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed, and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. So in chapter 147, he gives rain. And in chapter 146, he provides food. He, he provides for us all that we need. God has done his part. Acts chapter 14. We read this last week. I want to review it again this week. Acts chapter 14, beginning at, if you will, verse 16. And in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness. And that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. All the nations. He has, he has given food to all the nations. Well, someone said, well, what about what about?" What about the animals? You see, because in, in the Jewish law, there, there were some animals that were deemed as unclean. And, and what, about, what, about, what about those animals? And so you, you understand that, that Israel, they were supposed to be a light to the world. And, and, and those animals were to teach a valuable lesson between the clean and the unclean, between the holy and the unholy. And so it was a more, more depth to that. It doesn't take away from the fact that God has given food to all of humanity. Acts chapter 10, listen to what God says in a dream to Peter regarding Cornelius and giving us a greater understanding of the whole point of the Old Testament laws regarding animals and what you could or could not eat. And on the next day, verse 9, Acts 10, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky open and the certain objects like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were all, or in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures and the earth of birds and of the earth, excuse me, and birds of the air, and a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But here was the message, right? The Old Testament, here's that understanding. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. It was to teach a message. We, we know that, right? And this happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. See, because you have to remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 as Jesus was teaching on not food, as though the question was about food and Jesus turns it into a spiritual answer and tries to help them to understand that what goes into the man comes out of a man. But they help them to understand that God wants us to stay away from sin. 
But Jesus declares all foods clean in Mark chapter 7 and verse 19 in his lesson. If it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated, he's talking about food. Thus, he declared all foods clean, which takes me all the way back to Genesis chapter, chapter 9 when Noah came out of the ark and God said something to him. First, there was, everything was an herbivore, right? We know that. You know, you think about science and, you know, getting into the world of dinosaurs and how did man exist with all these. Well, everything was an herbivore, right? Uh, uh, Pre-flood. And then coming through the flood, he comes out of the ark. And that's in Genesis 1, by the way. Um, Comes out of the ark. And in Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand. They are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. So God says, I've given you all this food and I've given you all the green plants, the herbs, and even today, some people deem some animals as sacred so they don't eat those animals for that particular reason. Something we've done even to ourselves. So humans attempt to do this. Humans attempt to blame God for the problem of starvation. And you ever, you've heard that, right? Well, if God's a perfectly holy and clean God, why would God do? And then we start going into these you know, rants of, of questions of things. We blame God for the problem, but is it more so, would you agree, that when you think about all the reality and all the scriptures, and we're not going to do all the scriptures, anyway, all the scriptures that really, most of what we're talking about is, is human greed and a lack of awareness. Maybe it's a lack of awareness. Maybe that's what it is. So it could be greed. It could be a lack of, of, of awareness, and it could be just simply a lack of Concern. See, God is not responsible for the foolishness of man. God is, God is not responsible for the greed and the selfishness, for the, the hatred, for the pride, for the, the laziness of man, for the men who hoard, for the cruelty of humanity, uh, for those who spite others, for callousness that we see on the earth. God is not responsible for our selfishness. God is not responsible for our sin. But we like to blame God because it's easier to do that, right? It's easier to blame God for our, for our shortcomings. Yet the Bible says in Psalm 92 that, that there is no unrighteousness in Him. Right? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. James 1.17 There's nothing bad in God. There's nothing wrong with God. I remember reading a book, and in the book, it was, it was, I think it was Colin Patterson who made the statement, and he said he, whenever he enters into a room, he's a, he was a he used to be an atheist. And uh, he walks into a room and um, he says the one thing he knows when he enters the room is, I know more about this subject than everyone in the room. <laughs> That's what he said. Well, let me just tell you something. God is never wrong. God is never unrighteous. God is never evil. And this is not a God problem. Although God cares, this is a people problem. 
Proverbs chapter 13. Now, obviously, as an individual, it's not our responsibility to individually, right, independently try to feed the whole world. We can't do that. It's an absolute impossibility. We're not talking about doing it for the whole world because we're just not big enough, strong enough. We don't have enough resources to do that. Perhaps today we're just talking about the person at your gate. And in Proverbs 13 and verse 23, abundant food is in the fallow it's in the fallow ground. Even of the poor, right? right? It's in the fallow ground of the poor. It's everywhere, but it's swept away by injustice. I remember that there's this, this people, uh, they were called the displaced people. And they were called displaced because the government, I won't tell you the location, but the government found a great water spot, Right? And they were like, this water is pure, it's clean, it's wonderful. And there were people living at that water location. You know what the government did? What the government does. They came in and said, you folks have to move. And they moved the people, right, and took over the water and and dammed it up so they could keep it for themselves. And moved the people downstream, down the river, if you will. And then they were without water. Isn't that funny? Not in America, thank God for that, it wasn't here. So here's what else, here's something else God did. Now, Israel, they're supposed to be a light, right? A light to the world. They didn't do a very good job at it, but it is what it is. Christians are supposed to be a light. Now, now here's what God did. When you think of the Ten Commandments, or you think about the law of God, remember, when you think of the Ten Commandments, you gotta, you gotta add another 660 more, you know, commandments along with those, and I'll tell you what some of the commandments were. Uh, let me just, no, let me just tell you what two of them were. Two of them were, were in direct relationship with feeding people. They were called the laws of gleaning, or the gleaning laws, the laws of gathering, if you will, and grain. So, so imagine for just a moment what, what the Bible says. I, I'll give you this picture image. We're going to Leviticus chapter 19. So imagine this. So in, in America, let's just use us because we're, we're here. I'm not saying anything bad about America. I'm just using us. We can understand this. You drive past a big old field, and there's a, a, a huge machine that, that is, is helping with the reaping, if you will, of the, of the harvest. And, and he's going along, and, he's, and the machine's putting all the corn, if you will, into a big old canister in the back, right? And it's going, you, you get the picture, right? But imagine for just a moment, and behind that big old machine, right, that large machine, are the, the poor and the orphans and the widows and, and the hungry, and they're behind picking up what's left behind. What do you think our farmer would do? Well, that was one of the laws. I'm going to talk about that in, 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 just, in just a moment. The law specified that landowners, all landowners, must must leave some of the harvest for the poor. And remember that these are agriculturalists, and so for the most part that their, their monies and, and things and resources came from the, the ground, and thank God for that. So what did God do? Leviticus chapter 19, he instituted a law. A law that forces man to think about mankind. It, it, it causes man to be an obedient uh, servant of God to think about your neighbor in a very intentional way. 
In Leviticus 19, beginning at verse 9, this is a sundry law. So a sundry law is a law of mercy, right? Okay. Lots of sundry laws. Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the corners of your field. Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Now, whoa, but Lord, I need to get all, I mean, you know, do you know how much is in the corner? God says, well, I know how much is in the corner. Don't reap that. But God, this is my vineyard. Remember when it said God caused the rain to fall? There'd be that picture, it's raining everywhere else but in your vineyard. <laughs> right? You only see that in the cartoons, but you get. Nor, verse 10, shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the, for the needy and for the stranger. And then you get to love how he ends that. I am the Lord God. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. God's talking. What has God done? God made a law. And that law is supposed to, we, we were supposed to see that, right? And in Israel, and we did see it. And in some cases, we did see it. But we're supposed to see that. But not just see it. We're supposed to understand the depth of moving from that letter of the law to, to the spirit. What is God doing? Right? We're supposed to move from the physical to the spiritual. God wants me to be mindful of those who are less fortunate than I am. And then he says something like, you know, Matthew chapter 7, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But this is the law and the prophets. You want to put the whole law of Moses into a, into a, a capsule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Wow, that's, that's powerful, God. Thank you for that. Maybe. That means I have to share. Uh, Exodus 23. The fruit of the fallow ground. During the entire seventh year. That's a long time. This isn't just when you're out there working. This is the whole year. There were other times where God says something like this as well in the third year. But in the seventh year, it was for the poor. Wait, Lord, do you know how much money I'm going to lose out on in that year? You, you want me to go a whole entire... Exodus 23 and verse 10. And you shall sow your land for six years... And gather in its yield. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the needy of your people may eat. And whatever they leave, the beasts of the field. Oh, even the animals, God? Yeah, even the animals. The beasts of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyards and your olive groves. A whole year? Yeah. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 15. Be open-handed to the poor and hungry instead of being hard-hearted as the world does. And instead of being tight-fisted as the world is. 
we are supposed to be light to a lost and dying world. Man shall not live by bread alone. It's not just about feeding people. It's about saving souls. In Deuteronomy 15, in verse 7, if there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers, and any of your towns and your lands, which the Lord your God has given you, you should not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware lest there is a base thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of remission is near. And your eye is hostile towards your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. And you shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you and your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you. What is God doing about the poor? He commanded it. Maybe that's not good enough. I mean, I know it's not for the world, right? To Israel, he said, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. I'm under the impression that as far as it depends upon us, and, and we have a godly, a God-fearing brother in Christ, sister in Christ, we should never have a poor one of those in any church of the Lord. Ever. Right? Never. And if we do, shame on us. That's just the Old Testament. I know, I know it's in the Old Testament. I get it, but you know we're going to go get it in the new later, right? Not today. So they were allowed to glean. I'm going to chapter 24. They were allowed to glean in the fields after the harvest. And, and just what, is, you know, what does that picture look like? And I, I'll get to the picture image in just a moment. Uh, back to the sundry laws. Deuteronomy 24, beginning at verse, uh, verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. Uh, that's, but Lord, no, you don't go back there and pick that up. Well, why not, God? It shall be for the alien. No, no. For the orphan, for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat out the olive tree, shall not go over the, the bows again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. And when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. And it shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave 
in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this thing. So he goes back and reminds them of where they were. You know, it's kind of, here's where you were, and here's where you are. You know what happens sometimes in life? We, we remember where we are, and we forget where we came from. Some of us. Never forget where you came from. Spiritually speaking, I was lost, and now I'm saved. Physically speaking, maybe you know of someone, or maybe you've been there. There wasn't a lot of food at your house. So, so what, does it, what does it look like when we start thinking about um, the poor and, and feeding the poor? It's, it's one of the most, I'm going to the book of Ruth, one of the most beautiful love stories uh, in the Bible, right? And you, you start reading this love story, and You've heard of it. You know it. You've read it many times. You, you've studied it yourselves. You, you, could, you could tell me all about the story. And I just want to grab one, one section of the story to, to see what it looks like when mankind obeys God and gives glory to God. What does it look like? Remember the, the account of, of Naomi. I'm going to talk more about Naomi a little bit tonight because it fits in, my, in another lesson idea, if you will. We talk about turtles tonight. What did, what did it look like? This is what it looked like. So, so in, in Ruth chapter 2, in verse, uh, verse 2, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one of whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. Find favor. So I, I'm going to try to get enough food and and if someone finds favor in me, maybe they'll leave a little bit more. Because, because we're starving, we're hungry. You see, Ruth, remember where Ruth and you know, you know the account, right? There's two ladies trying to survive. Maybe someone will show us favor. In verse 3 it says, So she departed and went and gleaned in the field and after the, the reapers and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Ahimelech. Ahimelech was a man who was married and died. Now this widow is there, and they're just hoping they can find some sustenance. Beautiful account. And they do, right? You know that. You know, you know the, land, the uh, landowner, uh, Boaz, uh, he was moved by, by Ruth's love and concern for her elderly mother-in-law. That he, he says, you know, when you guys go out there, leave her, a little, leave her a little more. It's a beautiful love story, isn't it? I mean, you know, intentionally, you know, <laughs> drop some food down for her. Food, drop some food. And, and so in chapter, in chapter 2 and verse 15, I believe is where I'm going. Um, when she arose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not insult her. I mean, don't, we're not, don't let her just get what, what's falling and what's in the corners. And, now, I want you to let her get in there and get some food. And also, you shall purposely Pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. What a, what a love story, right? You go and drop, 
Drop some extra just for her. Right? right? A lot of extra. And though he was in love with her, her attitude and her love for, for Naomi and, you know, the account. But he was a God-fearing man. And he says, give her some more because they need it. Okay, let's, let's close. Let's, let's go to Acts chapter, chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. That's a, that's a beautiful account of, of loving, loving your neighbor. So again, the question for us last week was, are we willing and able, are we willing or able to help those that are suffering and afflicted in the world? You might talk to some people, maybe if you, if you have questions about, about uh, you know, world hunger and, and, and poverty, you talk to some people that have been on missions and outside of the country and to some pretty rough areas. Talk to them and let them tell you what they saw, what they've seen, what has been etched in their memories forever and it will never get out. It will never go away. Talk to them. And then Jesus makes a statement that is recorded in the book of Acts but is found nowhere else in the Bible. It's like, well, where, when did he say that? But they remembered it. And Luke, who's recording the, the message, writes, uh, as the Apostle Paul and about his account in verse 35 Luke says this in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive Luke writes what Paul said that Jesus taught The question this morning is, is it more blessed to give than receive? And I guess the answer is in the form of a question. Which end would you prefer to be on? The giving end or the receiving end? Realizing that the giving end means you have some sort of an abundance and the receiving end means you lack. And then Jesus says, church, it's more blessed to give than receive. Which takes me back to the picture image of God who gave His only begotten Son to save us. Thank you, God. Danny, you said it this morning. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you, God, for giving of yourself. The lesson is yours this morning. If we can help in any way, if you would like to surrender to Christ, to God, the waters of baptism, the opportunity is here. If there are special uh, prayer requests on your heart, we can pray with you, pray for you. If we can help in any way, please come. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come? Oh, Jesus, oh.